Jesus, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that is new every morning. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to you now and open your word to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, here we are in our final week of our Death to Selfie series for Lent this year. And uh, we've been looking at the many different isms that we use to cope with our brokenness and with the brokenness of the world around us. And as we've gone along, it's been pretty plain to see that they all kind of overlap in many ways. And that's because of the way that we use them. We are trying to get the same answer from each of them. We, as we've heard, we want to define ourselves. We want to know who we are. We want to be secure and safe. We're really looking for some peace. We're looking for peace. And we're looking for peace because we're restless. We're restless. We're in this constant state of unsatisfaction. If you remember last week, we heard Mick Jagger tell us that we can't get no satisfaction. And that really is the hallmark of this broken world and of our broken souls, that we're restless. We're running around trying to find that ever-elusive thing called peace or contentment. We're like George, George Seinfeld, if you remember the Seinfeld. George, in, George Seinfeld, I actually said that was his last name. We're like George in Seinfeld. And uh, George, if you remember, was running around one of the episodes screaming, Serenity Now! Serenity Now! Serenity Now! While he was completely stressed out and anxious about everything and angry. But he was screaming, Serenity Now! That's us, right? We, we're, we want peace. We don't know how to get it. Maybe I'll find it in myself. You know, maybe the answer lies within me. That was our first week, narcissism. Uh, maybe I'll find it in my performance. If I can just be the best version of me, you know, or a perfect version of me, that was perfectionism. Maybe I'll find it in fantasy or imagination. You know, if I just get lost in another world, it'll take my mind off of things. Escapism. Maybe I'll find peace by obsessing over somebody else's life. I'll just think about what they're doing all the time and it'll distract me from my problems. If I can just keep up with the Kardashians, you know, then... I'll be all right. That was voyeurism. Or maybe I'll find it in my belongings. If I can just acquire the right amount of wealth and possessions, then I'll be good. Consumerism. And they all carry that promise of peace, but they actually never deliver. And consumerism is the one we're going to look at today. It's a big one for us. It's how our world operates. All right? Our economy is literally built around the consumer. We see it and hear it everywhere. If you watch any news, the temperature of the economy is taken by assessing how sales are going across all the different industries. You know, if we, the people, are out buying things, then that means we're feeling pretty good. That means we're feeling good, we've got money to spend, and we're spending it, so the economy is healthy, and things grow. That's what we say, that's what we think. But if we, the people, are not buying things, If we are saving our money for a rainy day, then we're not feeling good about life and about the economy. We're worried. We're saving whatever money we have because we're not sure we'll have enough. And so the economy is not healthy. And things begin to contract. It all hangs on whether or not we, the consumers, are consuming or not. That's how our world operates. 
And the political world is the same way. If you remember the 90s, I've already quoted Seinfeld. I'm going to do now Bill Clinton's campaign. If you remember when Bill Clinton was running for president, uh, what was the famous phrase that one of his strategists came up with? It was, it's the economy, stupid. The economy, stupid. That's what's going to win the election. That's what people care about. That's what drives us when we're sitting there looking at the ballot box. Who's going to leave me off better in four years than I was when I started? Who's going to make me wealthier? And Bill went on to win, as you know. And he played a saxophone. We were talking about saxophone earlier. One of those great iconic moments. Um, Why do I want to be wealthier? Why do we want and care about uh, wealth or money or possessions? It's really, I think, so that we're not stressed, so that I'm not worried. You know, I can buy the things that I want, and that will then make me happy, right? I'll find peace. That's the promise in our consumerism. It's based on our consumption, and it's instinctive at this point. You know, if, if we were fish, consumerism would be the water that we've been swimming in for over a century. It's the water we've been breathing. We don't even notice it anymore. It's just normal. And it carries that promise of peace, but as we know, it never delivers. As I've said a couple times over these past few weeks, happiness is just one more purchase away, you know? You guys remember uh, what John D. Rockefeller famously said when he was interviewed by uh, a reporter at one point. The reporter asked him, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little more. Just a little more. He was the richest man in the world then. He's still considered the richest man in modern history. Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos combined aren't even close to what he had. In our day's money today, our our money today, they've estimated that he was worth over $318 billion. Just a little bit more. Consumerism is just the same as all the other isms. It's appealing and it starts out good because getting new things is fun. I have to say, it's, I still enjoy it, you know. I like getting new things until I see the next new thing or until that new thing that I just got broke. Uh, you know, we just need a little bit more. It's addictive. And we see how this takes hold of us with the rich young ruler from our gospel passage today. This is uh, a famous passage you've probably heard before. This rich young ruler comes to Jesus And he asks him, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers him in kind. He says, oh, you want to know what you need to do? It's quite simple. Just keep the law. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the young ruler says, I've done all of those my whole life. You know, I've got that licked, Lord. A.K.A., I'm a good person. To which Jesus responds, oh, well, there's one thing you still lack. Sell everything that you have and give it all away to the poor, and then come follow me. And the young ruler goes away very sad because, as Luke tells us, he was extremely wealthy. He was like Rockefeller. You know, it's clear that he, on some level, loved his wealth, or at least he loved what it gave him, or what he thought it gave him, which was this sense of security and safety, a sense of peace. You know, I couldn't, he can't, can't fathom losing it. 
you can almost hear him thinking, like, wait, if I sell everything I have and give it away, how am I going to be all right? You know, it's great for the poor, but what about me? What will happen to me? I won't have any security. I'll be needy. And this is how Jesus, this passage is one of the great examples of how Jesus uses the law in our lives. And he does this to the Pharisees all the time. He does this a lot in interactions with people who think they've got it together. He applies the law. We've, got, we've all got something that we're putting our trust in to give us peace. It may be one of the isms that we've talked about over these past few weeks, uh, but it might be something else. You know, it might actually be a substance or it might be a someone. You know, you could just, I can't imagine, li- like I wouldn't have anything to live for if so-and-so died. You know, wherever you're putting all your f- trust, where all of your hope is in. And for me, I have to confess, the money thing is pretty on the nose because I actually do think that. I think that more money would solve a lot of my problems, <laughs> for the record, you know? I think if I was just independently wealthy, then I could have peace. And I, but I say it in holier ways, of course, because I'm a Christian and I know better, right? And so uh, I say things like, and this is, I'm talking to the Lord often when I'm praying, uh, for example. Uh, you know, I'll say things like, oh, if we just didn't have to worry about money, Lord, then we could go do ministry freely, you know? If I didn't have to worry about money, then we could just really serve you. And he doesn't say anything about that. But um, (laughs) he just lets me sit with that one. But uh, that's on the individual level. You know, it's this idea, oh, money's going to solve the problem. And then I even use it to justify, I justify it by saying, oh, I'm going to go be a better servant of yours. And uh, we do this not just on an individual level, but we've actually, I'm I'm guilty of saying this too, on a corporate level uh, here at Holy Cross. I'm going to meddle a little bit. Or you might have heard somebody say at some point, if we just didn't have this building debt, then we'd be able to do more ministry. We'd be free to do more ministry. It's the same promise. More money will give us the peace we want and need. But it doesn't. It actually doesn't. And nothing's preventing us from doing ministry right now. But I convinced myself money would help. Anyhow, it may not be money for you, But there is something. There's something that you look to. And Jesus knows it, and he knows that it actually won't give you what you want from it, what you desire from it. It actually is not going to give you that peace. All it does is blind you to what you really need. It's Novocaine, okay? Think about it like this. If you have a big wound, you know, you've got a wound on your arm or something, you just shoot it up with some Novocaine. I don't even feel it anymore. You know, you're bleeding everywhere, but who cares? I don't feel any of it. You know, that's kind of the way we go with our consumerism or any of these isms. We use them to cover up our, our feelings from the things that actually are hurting us. It's just like the rich young ruler. He thought that he had it all together. He was young, he was powerful, he was successful, and he was a moral guy. Jesus doesn't object to him saying he kept the law. He just applies it to the place where he's not. All this young, rich young ruler thought to him, he just thought, all I need to do is square away this eternal life thing, and then I'll be good. I'll have it all figured out, you know? And Jesus knows the truth. He knows this guy's real need, just like he knows your real need and mine. So he does what he always does with the law. This is how the Lord operates. He puts his finger right on the pressure point in our lives. 
He puts his finger right where it's going to cut through the Novocaine. Where not, you couldn't take enough drugs to numb yourself out on this one. He's going to put your finger, his finger right there where it really hurts because he knows that's the only way he's going to really get our attention. That's the only way our denial is going to stop, is if it hurts too much. We do everything in our power to close our eyes and plug our ears to our real pain and brokenness. We're like little kids. I am. I'll just say I am. You guys can defend yourselves from this. But anyhow, the, you know, we sit there like, oh, I don't want to feel that. No, I don't, you know, I'm just going to watch the Kardashians. I'm going to watch you know, Netflix, whatever it is. I'm going to cope. I'm just going to buy something. I don't want to feel it, and I don't want to see it. But Jesus has actually come to save us. Really. It's not just, you know, words. He really wants to save us. And he really wants to save us from our actual pain. So, what he does to do that first is he puts us in touch with our real pain. He opens our eyes and unplugs our ears so we actually see the problem. And he puts his finger right on that spot, whatever it is, and he just applies pressure until it hurts. Until it hurts so much that we finally cry out and say, Ow! That hurts! <laughs> That's good. That's a, Yay, you're alive. You're feeling. You're finally aware. Now, some of us have higher pain thresholds than others, so it might take a little bit more for some of us than other people. But it's going to happen. That's one of the promises of God's word to us. It's actually the second part of that Isaiah passage that we read today, is that his, his word will not return to him void. He promises it's going to accomplish the thing he set it out to do. That's good news, because like I said, I will always return back to that idea, hey, wait, you know what would help? A little bit more money. Or you know what would help? You know, I don't know, a new car or a boat, something. That's going to make life better. And the Lord just puts his finger on the place of pain and doesn't let me get away with that. So, he doesn't leave us alone. That's good news. He acts upon us, first with the word of the law, which we've heard, and then with the gospel. And when we get to this point of feeling the pain, we come to the same conclusion that the crowd and the disciples come to. We didn't read it today, but it's what happens right after the rich young ruler goes away. Jesus comments, we heard him say it, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That sounds very bad. Camels are very big and needles are very small. I don't know if you knew that, but um, that's his point. And the crowd is aghast. They say in response to this, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? They look at this rich young ruler and they see him as a shoe-in. This guy was everything that they wanted to be. You know, he was wealthy, he was young, he was moral. Surely he's going to get into heaven. And Jesus is saying, not even he is good enough. Not even this guy who has it all together can do what it takes to obtain eternal life for himself. And the crowd is struck and so are the disciples by the impossibility. Who then can be saved? It's impossible. And that is exactly the right conclusion. This is where Jesus takes us. This is why he puts his finger on the pressure point to bring us right here. It's only when we've come to this conclusion, when we've finally heard the impossibility of obtaining eternal life for ourselves, that is when we have come to grips with reality. 
Only then have we finally gotten in touch with our real need. It's not that I need a little bit more money. It's not that I need more things. It's not that I need to be distracted. None of that deals with my pain. I actually need to be saved. I need to be rescued. Jesus wants us to see that you can never be good enough. No matter what you do, you cannot earn your way. You cannot be good enough in your own strength. You cannot be good enough to inherit eternal life. This is the purpose of the law, to bring us to this place. It takes away the Novocaine, as I said. And it takes away the guys that we put up. It takes away the wealth, the success, the morality, whatever it is. And our eyes are opened and our ears are unplugged, finally. And we see the truth. That we're naked and we're poor. It's very similar, if you remember, to another famous interaction that Jesus had. And this one was with Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. And it was in John 3. Nicodemus is a Pharisee who comes to Jesus in the middle of the night because he's scared to be seen interacting with him. Because Jesus was, you know, uh, public enemy number one for the Pharisees. But he comes in the middle of the night to see him and he asks similar questions. He's seeking similar answers as the rich young ruler about eternal life. And what does Jesus tell him? He says, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Born again. Nicodemus has the same response as the crowd has here in our passage today. That's impossible. He says, how can I be born again when I'm already old? How can I re-enter my mother's womb, you know, and be born again, Jesus? That's insane. If that's the way to obtain eternal life and to enter into the kingdom of God, then nobody's getting in. That's impossible. And now, as I said, we've hit pay dirt. Now we're ready. Now we know that we are at the end of ourselves. And it's into that silence. Because that's what makes us uncomfortable. The fact that we don't have any more answers. I don't have any more, you know, I don't have any more responses. I can't just give it that good old college try one more time. Into that silence, Jesus speaks. And what is his response to the crowd here today? We didn't read it, but I'll tell you. He says... What is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is impossible, is possible with God. Excuse me. Your hope is not yourself. Your hope is not your supposed goodness. It is not in any of these isms. They will not give you the peace you, you need and the peace that you want. And this was true, actually, of the rich young ruler. We see it. He may not admit it. But he's coming to Jesus, asking him, how do I get eternal life? He knows that his wealth isn't going to get him there. That's why he's asking the question. He knows he needs ultimate security. He needs eternal security. Everything that he had was temporal. Temporal peace. But he never thought it was going to mean actually coming to grips with his inability. He never thought it was going to mean actually coming to grips with death, because that's really what it is. That he's dead without somebody coming to save him. It's impossible for him. But as Jesus says, it is possible with God. Jesus is the answer to the impossibility. He's the answer to our need for peace. He is our peace. It's what he says to Nicodemus after he brings Nicodemus to this place where he's like, ah, I got no response. You know, I got to be born again. I got nothing. And then Jesus says some of the most famous words ever heard in the world. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Jesus points to himself. God makes all things possible through him. It's something that Paul says, that all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. St. Augustine wrote in his Confessions, Our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they can find their rest in you. You're hearing the good news today that God has made a way. God has made a way. This is the real answer for the rich young ruler. It's not in yourself. It's not in what you do or what you don't do. It's in what Jesus has done for you. He has done the impossible for you. He has sent his son to live and die for you so that you might be forgiven. That's what God has done. So you might not be condemned, but you might be saved. And that's incredible news. And he's handing it out to you right now. You're hearing it today. Believe in him. That's it. Believe in him. He is your safety. He's your security. He is your peace. He is the one that actually brings peace in your life. And he's the one that gives you rest. And the incredible thing is, when that happens, we actually start to have that peace. You actually are set free to give it to other people. You're set free to share it with other people. You're not worried about yourself so much. You're not striving to just get a little bit more because you know you've already been given everything. And so you can give it away. He just continues to give it to you. It never runs out. It never grows old. It's an incredible thing. You have nothing that you can bring to get this freedom and you don't have to bring anything. That's the awesome thing. That's what we hear in Isaiah to conclude. We hear him say, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, you have nothing that you can bring to get this, to buy this, to earn this. Still, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Come. It's free for you. It's free for us. His grace and forgiveness is free for all of us today. He gives himself freely to you today. So I I encourage you to take him as your own and find that peace. Take him as your own today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are our peace, that you are the answer to the impossible. You are the one that God has sent to make all things possible for us. We thank you that you save us from our brokenness. You save us from our sins, that you give us what the young ruler came looking for. You give us eternal life. We ask that you would keep that firmly fixed in our hearts and our minds this week, Lord, and you would use us to give it away to others, to share it, and to bless others. We thank you, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.